0: Holy One, we give you thanks, for you have touched the lives of people all around the world and have gifted these ancient stories and these ancient words to be alive for us this morning. Open our hearts and our ears and our eyes that we might hear a word from you this day. Amen. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Creator and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
1: Our second lesson today is very short. It's from the 17th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, verses 5 and 6. Listen for the word of God to you. The apostles said to Jesus, their rabbi, increase our faith. Jesus replied, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be rooted up and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. As I've been reflecting on this verse the past couple days, a question keeps surfacing to me. How much faith does a person need? I mean, the disciples obviously thought that they didn't have enough. So they asked Jesus, increase our faith. But what's this mean, increase our faith? Like, you know, take three pills and, you know, have a martini. And you'll have more faith or a bigger faith or a more active one. Paul wrote to Timothy, as we just heard, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Within you. You know, faith is not something that we can barter for nor buy. It's something that's passed on to us. And Paul is reminding Timothy that the faith of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice was a faith that was placed within him because it was passed on to him like an ember. Our task or invitation or even challenge is to rekindle this ember, this gift of God that is within us. The past few weeks, we've been making our way through the Gospel of St. Luke, as Jesus and his followers are making their way to Jerusalem. En route, they encountered murmuring scribes who were complaining that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. En route, there was the opposition from the Pharisees that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and they were challenging him on that behavior. And in route, Jesus had incredible occasions to teach using parables and stories to challenge people about their understandings and notions of God and about faith. There was, just as a, remem- as a reminder, the woman who had been bent over for 18 years, a child, a daughter of Abraham, whom Jesus thought had suffered enough and couldn't wait one more day, regardless of what the rabbinic law said, so he healed that woman on the Sabbath, much to the Pharisees' disgust. There was the prodigal son, who asked for his inheritance even before his father had died, and went off and squandered it in loose living, whatever that means. But then he came to his senses, or he was out of money. He came home to ask for forgiveness, and he, what did he get? He was received by a huge party, much to the displeasure of his brother. Then there was the shepherd who lost his sheep, there was a woman who lost a coin and after both had found what they had lost, their community celebrated with them. It's in this context that Jesus' disciples ask the question, increase, increase our faith. Did Jesus think that the disciples' faith was lacking? They did. But did he? Now, tradition has interpreted this parable, the mustard seed, as a kind of put-down from Jesus, saying, if you had, if you had the gift of a mustard seed, then you could say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up. Uh, Is that really what's going on in this text? I don't think so. You know, it's not Jesus' MO to put people down. Consider, if you will, that the disciples had enough faith. And instead of Jesus putting them down, he was actually building them up. Jesus responds to their request, increase our faith, by saying, even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up and planted into the ocean. Now, mulberry trees, most of us don't know what a mulberry tree is, it's very large with a huge root system. So Jesus was using a metaphor, something so big. If you think your faith is as small as a mustard seed, and even if it is that small, you have the faith to have this huge tree pulled up and planted in the ocean, which would never happen. But Jesus is using it as an illustration to say, you have enough faith, it's within you. So basically, Jesus is saying, don't worry about your faith, how big or how small it might be. Simply live the faith you have and rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Now, the disciples most likely didn't trust the faith they had, so they were praying for a stronger faith, a bigger one, a more vital active one. And Jesus' answer was not the one one that they had expected. Has this ever happened to you? You know, you pray a prayer, you ask a question, you seek a solution, and what you get is something totally different than what you thought you wanted, but it's exactly what you needed. I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. In 1991, or actually 1990, when I was still on staff at the First Presbyterian Church in Monterey, I had a real sense within me that my time had come. My ministry there, and I was seeking a new position, and that's what I was praying for. I was praying for one new position. I got three. That's not what I would have anticipated. I came here in December of 1991 as your co pastor, 40% of a half time call. I started being the spiritual director at the working now at the Counseling Center on the campus of San Francisco Theological Seminary, and then I started my own private practice in spiritual direction. I would never have dreamt for, nor did I want, that particular configuration of an income, but it's exactly what I needed. You know, they say, be careful what you pray for. But you know, this is how God is with us. We think we want something, and what we get is not what we had ever even imagined possible, but it's exactly what we need. So, how much faith does a person need? And what is faith? Now, in the book of Hebrews, the author, we don't know who the author is, said that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for. So when we pray we're doing so with the expectation, the hope, the anticipation that our prayer will be answered. The conviction of things not seen. Trusting that our prayer will be answered. Maybe not in the way that we imagine it, but a prayer never goes unanswered. The pinch is we have blinders on thinking there's only one way that God will respond. And God always responds in ways that we would never have thought. Paul Tillich said that describes faith as a state of being grasped by an ultimate concern. Faith can take over an entire body, an entire being. And Daryl Berrigan said that faith is an attitude no more easy to describe than a glass of water. It's colorless, tasteless, odorless, but still mysteriously refreshing and held up to the light of day. It becomes a prism that captures all the delight and the mystery of the world. Faith is seen by some as a form of knowledge and others as a gift. It's viewed in some Christian denominations as a doctrine. Sometimes it's limited to intellectual assent. Theologians talk too much about faith. Maybe I am today. And then on other occasions, faith is a feeling. A response. Words like loyalty, steadfastness, trust, belief, commitment are all used to describe it, and in some way they all fit, and yet they're all quite inadequate. Sometimes faith is a mystery, Sometimes it's crystal clear. Sometimes it's murky like tule fog, which we live in the Bay Area, all get that. We know what thick ground fog is like, and sometimes we feel like we are caught in that fog. Faith sometimes is irrational and full of folly. Other times it's rock solid. So whatever it is, a quality, a relationship, A force the disciples thought they wanted or needed more of it. Why? Why would someone want to increase their faith? Is a person more empowered? Are they liked better? Are they more holy? Does a person have a better understanding of God if their faith is big? Whatever big is. Now, just prior to the disciples asking Jesus this weird question, increase our faith, Jesus had said, as recorded in Luke right before this pericope, this passage if your neighbor sins against you, rebuke him. If your neighbor repents, forgive her. If someone sins against you seven times in one day and turns to you seven times and say, I repent, you must forgive. It was then that the disciples said, increase our faith. I think the disciples couldn't imagine themselves forgiving the way that Jesus was instructing them to do, so they connected the dots in a weird way in their thinking, saying, well, if we had more faith, maybe we could forgive seven times. Now, remember what Paul said to Timothy? Rekindle the gift of God. The gift of God that is within you. Meaning, my friends... We already have all the faith we need. We have all the faith we need. All we need do, as Paul wrote to Timothy, is to remember it and to rekindle it. The disciples believe theirs was insufficient. Jesus is saying it was more than sufficient. It's enough. Rekindle it. Live it, trust it. Now, I don't know about you, but I have gotten into the disciples' trap of thinking at times my faith is pretty mediocre. I mean, I read about the lives of Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King Jr., and the Desmond Tutus of the world, and the Harriet Tubmans, and I think to myself, hmm, I don't really measure up. I don't know if you've done this, but it's not very helpful. The pinch is, God didn't create you, God didn't create me to be any other than we are. God didn't create you, God didn't create me to be any other than who we are. By always wanting more of whatever, faith or money or whatever, we conveniently ignore what we possess. When we focus on what we don't have, we miss, my friends, what we do have. Jesus is saying that faith, which may appear to us as small as an insignificant seed, is powerful beyond our imaginings. Your faith, our faith, can be powerful enough to uproot a tree as large as a mulberry tree with very intricate deep roots and be thrown into the ocean. We need to know that our faith is enough and to remember to rekindle it. And that's why we come to this table week after week after week after week. Each week we gather here to rekindle the ember of faith that is within us. Each week we gather here to remember that faith is lived within community. And you see here, community is a key to faith. Faith doesn't exist in a vacuum. Faith is something that happens between people. It's something we do. It's a lifestyle. It's a movement. It's a transformation of action. This is why Paul is saying, remember it and rekindle it. And one way we can rekindle this ember that is within us is to ask ourselves, am I being generous? Am I being generous? For generosity is a virtue of faith. And am I producing peace? For peace is a byproduct of generosity. If we ask these two simple questions, we are rekindling the gift of God that is within us. Am I being generous? And am I producing peace? Just ask yourself those questions this week. Or Maybe you're in a political debate with someone that feels differently than you do. Or you watch someone that you so disagree with on Facebook or YouTube, and you start feeling anger, ask yourself, am I being generous? And am I producing peace? Because that's the only way, my friends, that we'll transform the world. That's the only way. If you are being generous and producing peace, thanks be. If you're not, you know the corrective. The corrective to change. Today is World Communion Sunday. Today, by faith, with faith, through faith, and because of faith, we come to this table with Christians around the world. And we come simply as we are. We don't need to come with anything other than who we are. We come to this table to remember how to be generous, and we leave this table to produce peace. That's why we come, is to receive generosity, and why we leave is to produce peace. This is one way that we rekindle the gift of God that is within us. So my friends, if we simply ask ourselves those two simple questions, am I being generous with those with whom I live, work, disagree, pass on the street, even myself, and am I producing peace We are rekindling the gift of God that is within us and, and, it is enough.